KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. So, Sabrina, I think there's a thing that a lot of people don't really know about me. I'm a huge geek for flags. Like, interesting. I, I love flags. I love the stories of flags. I mean, city flags, county flags, state flags. I love the stories that go behind the designs of flags. It just, you can wrap up so much of someone's or, or some place's culture in just the flag that they have. I think it's just amazing. I love that. I've never really thought that hard about it. But of course, right now we are seeing Ukrainian flags just all over the place in, in the city and everywhere in the world, you know. It's amazing to see what that flag has become like a unifying symbol. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Sabrina Boyd Circa. The support for Ukraine here in the city has been so strong that some flag makers have been running out of the material to make Ukrainian flags. There's been a run on Ukrainian flags over the last three weeks. Yeah, particularly at Humphreys Flag Company in Old City, there's a very specific material and specific colors for the Ukrainian flags, and they're running low because they're selling more Ukrainian flags than American flags right now. It's amazing. And by the way, anybody who's never gone into Humphreys, it's like walking into a museum or a library, and it's all flags. I, I, the first time I saw that place, it just blew my mind. And, and we talked to the owner, John McDevitt talked to the owner of the place yesterday. He basically laid it out there like, yeah, they're just, they're running out of the material, but they're working on getting them up as soon as they possibly can. So Americans can be more unified, particularly here in the Philadelphia area in their support of the Ukrainian people. And that's, what's great to see is, is that unification. We are, we are all supporting Ukraine in whatever way we can think of right now. Now, we've talked a lot about the crisis in Ukraine, but another crisis we're going to talk about today is one that hits pretty close to home for everybody, the opioid crisis. New Jersey is getting a whole lot of money from a national settlement with drug companies, and Mike Doherty is going to join us to tell us how you can help and go more into what will be a very, I have a feeling, be a very emotional conversation talking about the opioid epidemic here. We'll get to more on that as well as the war in Ukraine. But first, we got some other big news this morning. A man who was wanted for stabbing two people at the Museum of Modern Art in New York City was arrested here in the city of Philadelphia this morning. They found him. KYW's Timmy Menez, who is up that time of day and covers just about everything that happens early in the morning, has more on this. Philly police say officers and firefighters responded to the Best Western near the convention center about 6 o'clock at night. There was a fire in a fifth floor room. Firefighters took care of the flames. No one was hurt, but there was some serious damage left behind. Police investigated and then determined the person who checked in was the New York Museum stabbing suspect, who the NYPD identified as 60-year-old Gary Cabana. Cabana was not at the hotel when cops got there, but they sent out a blast for officers to be on the lookout. And then, around midnight, Chief Inspector Scott Small says they got him. He was actually asleep on a bench inside the Greyhound Terminal. Police took him into custody. Woke him up. Small says they arrested the man without incident and he'll face arson charges on top of the charges for the stabbings. It's amazing because that's probably five minutes away from where I, my apartment. I, I used to go to that Greyhound station all the time. That's how I would get to New York when I wanted to go see a show or visit friends up there. And now it's like you just never know what the people around you are actually doing. And it's a wild story. I mean, this guy... They're saying they caught him on video stabbing employees at the museum when they denied him entrance. His membership had been revoked due to previous disorderly conduct. They don't let him into a museum and he's just just starts stabbing people. He, I he mean, he leaps and, and the, vid the video is wild. He leaps over the counter, 
brandishes the knife and these two people, both in their 20s, just people working behind the counter said, hey, we can't let you in. And he leaps over the counter and just stabs them both and then runs and pops up here in Philadelphia two days later. That is wild, but at least they actually got him and they're getting him back up to New York so they can at least get him charged and everything. And that's not even counting the arson, and the fire he sets. Because, right. of course, he comes down here and he sets a fire in Philadelphia. And beforehand, it's like this guy was just trouble. Now, meanwhile, in Ukraine, Russian attacks are getting closer to central Kiev, and they're hitting residential neighborhoods. There's another video yesterday just showing a man walking up the street in an apartment building suddenly gets hit by a missile, just boom, just explodes. Three leaders of countries in the EU, Poland, Slovenia, and the Czech Republic, are going to go to Kiev to show support. And President Biden is considering traveling over to Europe to meet with NATO leaders next week as this thing just continues to roll on. It keeps developing. It will be really interesting to see how those meetings go. One thing that is really an interesting way to help from afar, a lot of people in our area and across the country are booking Airbnbs in Ukraine, not planning to go there, but just as a way to get money directly to people who live there. Hadas Kuznets talked to Avi Leibovic from Penn Valley, who was one of those people who booked a stay. No intentions of going, but just out of the goodness of his heart. I basically said, I don't plan on staying there. I feel really bad what's going on. And I'd like you to use the money however you see fit. And if you have enough money, then please help someone else out locally over there. He thanked me and said, you know, his home is is okay. His office was hit, but he's doing okay. And he said he personally has enough money, but he has a friend who has a child that's sick and needs special medicine that's hard to get. And she was looking for money. So he was going to reach out to her and, and pass money along to her. Can I just mention how over the last three weeks we have seen a lot of examples of the best of humanity in the midst of all this. I would yeah. not have even thought of the idea of booking an Airbnb just to ef- effectively drop X amount of money on a family that's in need. That's that's really dope. Like, it's so interesting that that is where people turned to to find a way to connect directly to people. I guess I, I get that, that, you know, you are seeing the person that you're helping. You know where your money's going as opposed to some... Uh, organization. If you don't know much about an organization, you might not know exactly what they're doing with the money. Of course, there are lots of other organizations out there that you can tell are doing really good things that your a couple of bucks can help a lot of people. So that's great as well. We're getting really creative in our ways to try to do what we can here. Now, if you're going to be going out in the city this week, you might want to think of hitting up some Latino-owned spots because it is Dine Latino Restaurant Week. And Raquel Williams, our community impact reporter, spoke with some participating restaurants about what they plan on doing this week. Alfredo Aguilar is owner of Las Cazuelas on West Girard Avenue, showcasing authentic Mexican cuisine. He says he's honored to be a part of this for the fourth year in a row as they get to educate new patrons on the cuisine. From like the cochinita pibil to the mole poblano with like so many different ingredients in the mole. It's an honor. You know, it's an honor. And, you know, I'm really proud to be Mexican and to showcase the Mexican food. Jennifer Gomez Hardy and her husband Tracy Hardy own the new Lou and Chew in North Philadelphia, and it's their second time participating. It's always good to get your name out there. It's just getting people comfortable coming on this side of Broad Street. It's important that we all come together as a melting pot because we all have something to learn from one another. So go for the salmon grilled cheese, but stay for the culture. Salmon grilled cheese. I'm in. Uh, Salmon grilled cheese? You look skeptical. I'm not skeptical. I'm saying 
sign your boy up. So many good, <laughs> creative foods that come out of the Latinx community. You know, I, I love me some Mexican, Central American food, all of that stuff. I, I think I might be hitting this up this week because now I am craving and really authentic. You know, we're not talking like... Right. Get rid of Taco Bell and go to one of these places. <laughs> Does the salmon? I'm hung up on the salmon grilled cheese because now that's all I'm going to be able to think about. And you know what? If you want to support any of these places, make sure you check out the story covering this and everything else we've brought you on our website, kywnewsradio.com. Now, in a minute, we're going to take a look at the opioid crisis in New Jersey and how a lot of money from a, multiple settlements of drug companies could be helping out the Garden State get some sort of rein in on this scourge of a crisis that we're dealing with in this country, especially in New Jersey. Keep it right here with us. We'll be back in a moment. I'm Jay. I'm Sabrina. And we know that the opioid crisis has escalated across the country really over the last maybe 10, 15 years or so. We hear about it a lot in Philadelphia, but another place it's hit really hard is in the state of New Jersey. We're joined by Mike Doherty today to talk about this. Mike, how's it going? Wonderful, Jay. How are you? Doing all right. And recently, uh, Governor Phil Murphy announced that New Jersey will get $641 million as part of a national settlement with drug companies. Now, what was that case about and how did New Jersey end up getting this money? Well, this case stemmed from this is just another in the line of going after the makers of opioids and trying to hold them accountable for their role in this epidemic, which is you know, blown up across the country. This one uh, dealt with mainly Johnson and Johnson and a couple, I think three or so other distributors for their role in pushing these drugs and getting them into more homes and into more people and just the, the horrible things that have happened since. How are they planning to spend this settlement money? Where's this going? Well, this is an 18 year plan. And so the money just came out. It was just announced. So as far as where they're spending it and when that hasn't been released yet. Uh, we don't know exactly how that $641 million is going to be doled out over the next 18 years. What we do know is the state has been pumping millions upon millions of dollars into this already. So just based on my experience with this and understanding it, they will continue partnering with the organizations that have been on the ground fighting this war from the beginning. They're going to try to give them more money, more resources to do the things that they've been doing. So New Jersey's acting attorney general, Mac Platkin, explained the type of impact that these kind of programs can have. Just to give you a flavor of how real these programs are, through that money, we'll be able to establish drug court programs um, at municipal level, which don't currently exist. With partnership with the Department of Children and Families, we'll be able to train law enforcement to identify uh, signs of trauma in youth who are dealing with uh, parents who are suffering from addiction and provide them the resources and services that we do provide throughout the state, uh, the money will truly be put to good use. Mike, do you know what went into deciding who gets that state funding? Is there any way to tell if these type of programs even serve to be that effective against this? Well, so what's different about this $641 million, you heard Matt Platkin say, they are going to establish drug courts in Jersey, which don't exist right now. And that's a big thing. Because a lot of these people who end up embroiled in these sort of ticky-tack crimes for robbery and things like that are going to real court and getting real time. And it's not really addressing the issue that's the problem of, of their addiction. So 
uh, what, what's happening with this money is it's going to be divided 50-50 between the state and then also sent out to every municipality in the, in the state so that they can use the money as they see fit. What was one of the things that he talked about in the press conference was interesting was that New Jersey had all counties on board with this. Every county in the state was involved in this settlement, which gave the state in turn more money because they had buy-in from everybody who was involved. Not every state had all the buy-in. Not every state wanted to be involved as much as Jersey has been. So uh, New Jersey standing to make uh, to, to get more money out of this settlement because so many different local towns and, and municipalities, even at the county level, have decided, no, this is a huge problem. We need to fix it. And we're involved. And you mentioned, Mike, that even before this settlement, the state was kind of pumping money into addressing this issue. They had awarded $15 million to several groups statewide, one of which is Oaks Integrated Care, who you talked to recently. What did they have to say about what they've been doing to pull people out of addiction? Yeah, so there, I don't know the exact number, but it's in the hundreds of millions at this point over the you know the last decade or so of how much money has been pumped into this. This latest round from 15 million was just announced last week. And so these kind of came out at the same time. And it's a little bit confusing, 641 million versus 16, 15 million. They're different settlements. They're different fundings. They're not from the same pool. The money that was allocated was already there. And so I talked with Mike D'Amico from Oaks Integrated Care about, hey, what are you going to do with this money? What's the plan? And he said they have a lot of different plans for it. I don't know how far this, you know, I think they're getting about 200,000. I don't know how far that's going to go, but they have a number of plans and programs that are already in place and he's seeking to bolster those out a little bit further. So one of the things that they've mentioned um, that really makes sense if you think about it is they want to have more of a holistic approach to think of a person as a whole person that this sort of addiction treatment is all involved. It's all together and it all helps a person get over their addiction and be a healthy, productive member of society. You know, it's not about, uh, you know, treating people in silos, but it's about bringing, you know, partners together. Um, and that means behavioral health and uh, primary cares together. So how our community uh, providers like Oaks um, are working with our hospital partners, you know, and our uh, primary care um, facilities to make sure that we're treating the whole person and uh, that we're seeing recovery as, as a holistic sort of a vision. I know he mentioned things like uh, assistance with housing, which can be a problem for people dealing with addiction. You know, the, the most basic needs, right, of having a roof over your head, other health resources. Um, they talked about an overdose recovery program and stuff that that probably goes a little bit beyond what you might immediately think of. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it from a practical perspective, how hard is it to kick a a drug habit like this, something that is chemically designed to be addictive. You're fighting an uphill battle to begin with. Absolutely. Then you add in, you lose your job. You have family throwing you aside because you keep stealing, stealing from them. This thing is a, a real problem. And if you don't have a place to go at the end of the night, how could you possibly battle this with any sort of success? We call the program Safe at Home. It is uh, a program that offers individuals who are at any stage of recovery from an opioid use disorder, um, access to a uh, housing subsidy or a housing voucher. And it's really predicated on the idea that uh, in order for somebody to be successful in their recovery, 
um, that they need um, a they need housing. Right? They need the most basic of resources. They need a safe uh, roof over their head um, as a sort of foundation for them uh, to begin their recovery journey and you know begin to pull all these pieces of their life uh, back together. Now, I I think a lot with the, just what you laid out there. Now, I haven't exactly hidden this. In the last 15 years, I've buried two family members who were addicted to opioids. And what you just kind of laid out there was a lot of the same thing that they dealt with during their lives, where it was it was hard to find them help. They got sick. They would get physically sick. They would go. They would cycle through these situations of first you're on, then you're off. One of them did eventually get off opioids, but she her years of drug use ended up chasing her down anyway. And it's hearing these stories kind of brings that back for me. But I also think about this when we talk about Mike D'Amico, how far does he think this settlement's going to go to solving this crisis in New Jersey? Because, I mean, honestly, how much can money do when you have addiction, which which can just be like a vice grip on people that no matter what you do, sometimes the addiction is stronger than anything else? Well, there's no real clear sign of how far this money can go, especially that $641 million because it hasn't really been fully allocated yet. So we don't know, you know, the state is going to keep half and then, as I mentioned, dole out the other half to local towns and municipalities. So what the state does with their portion of the money is sure to go to places like Oaks. I, we just don't know how much they're going to get. I do know that their plan is to just stay with the plan. And the more money they get, the easier it'll be to achieve those goals. One of the keys here is hiring more people. Getting people at the point of attracting them to the field um, of mental health and addictions treatment, whether it's, you know, our social workers, our counselors, um, you know, educators for sure, uh, psychiatry, advanced nurse practitioners. So, uh, you know, trying to find opportunity to, you know, attract people to what we do um, and, uh, and really bringing good, smart, dedicated, passionate people to the field to help um, with the workforce uh, challenges that we've had. There's a, there's a, lot of, a lot of meat on the bone there for, for help to be available. What they do with it, I think they, they're going to be figuring that out as they go along. Did you get a sense of what Mike, what else Mike thinks we as a community, as the state, you know, can can do to work together that goes, you know, it's not just giving out money, but it's how it's used. Did Mike tell you anything about kind of like what he wants to see? What money can't buy is motivation. And you can have all the money in the world. You can throw a billion dollars at this. But if you can't get to the level of an individual and convince them that this is the right path, that they need to stop doing what they're doing and make major, very difficult life changes, it's not going to go anywhere. So that's, one of the, that's the key to all of this is the, the motivation and the, the personal responsibility to pull yourself out of a hole that you didn't necessarily dig yourself, but you, you certainly didn't help along the way. And so we've got to get people to buy in and, and get people to understand that it starts within yourself and then the services can come to the rescue. I think one of the things that was interesting that he said about the, the buy-in also comes from the state, the partners, the community, right? And Mike, you said that New Jersey kind of has that buy-in, which is great, but there are a lot of people out there who still don't see addiction as the the disease, the struggle that it is. They sort of, you know, 
it, a lot of people can blame the folks who are addicted, who are using these drugs, and there's so much behind it. I think hearing things like, Jay, your story that you just shared, hearing what people are going through is important so that we can kind of humanize this whole issue too. Most everybody I've ever talked to, you know, knows somebody um, in their life that has struggled with addiction or, or mental health. And so by creating those personal connections, you know, we allow, uh, you know, the community to see folks with mental health and addiction um, challenges as human beings and as individuals. That goes back to what Mike was saying about treating a person holistically versus sort of treating addiction in a silo versus their medical treatments. You know, they're together and there needs to be more of a general understanding in the public that mental health and addiction services are part of any sort of medical treatment plan that you would get when you're going through a diabetic treatment or lung cancer, anything. They have to have the same level of commitment and understanding on a personal public level. Every, you know, everybody who listens might not understand that addiction is not always in the control of a person and there needs to be a better story told there. It's a lot about understanding that, yes, people end up on opioids for whatever reason. Sometimes it starts off as they're experimenting with drugs and they want to just they just simply want to get high. And there you go. Sometimes it's people were injured because a lot of these are injuries. You see with a lot of the a athletes. Lot of them, yeah, a, a lot of them are prescription drugs yeah. that got you got hooked in three days and they gave you a two week subscription. Yeah. Two week prescription. So, you know, these things happen fast. And it happens to people who aren't prone to addiction. It happens to people who don't have any other sort of life difficulties until this happens and just completely uproots their whole system. It snowballs. Now, there are other situations where people just start straight up shooting heroin for no given reason other than they just want to. Yeah, that's different. But that was what that was what happened with my cousins. They they were they were addicted to drugs beforehand. And toward the tail end of their lives, that's when the opioid crisis had made it where these pills were more readily available. And they they substituted for things such as heroin. And it became another part of their lives that it overtakes you. It happens so fast. And to see this type of investment that's being made in New Jersey to try to help these people because it is an illness. Because things in your brain will make you make bad choices. They call it opioid use disorder. You can hear Mike talking about it in our interview. It's it's a thing. It's like a it's an actual diagnosed thing. I have family members who have gone through it. I haven't lost anybody, thankfully, but I've had very close people to me suffer through addiction and beat it, thankfully. But it's it's horrifying what it can do to you. When I hear this, I think of what could have been with them. You know, these things are tough. These things are really tough. And I, I just kind of appreciate that we get the chance to talk about things like this because I don't think people understand the effect this has on family members, on friends, how much this hurts. So many relationships you're tied to. I just think of the last days that my aunt had where she she regretted not him, him not being there. It was because mm-hmm. of this. And it hurts, dude, because they should still be here. So, uh, yeah, programs like this, whether it's in – Pennsylvania, New Jersey are definitely um, are definitely needed. And Mike, man, I appreciate you doing this. And Jay, as, as we're talking about it, everybody knows somebody who's been through something like this. And so that's, that's the connection that we need to make. Hmm. The, the government has to do a better job. People like us need to do a better job to get these stories out there because everybody knows somebody who's been through this. Everybody has somebody they care about who's been touched by this. And there needs to be greater understanding 
that it's not always in a person's control. And even if it is in their control, at a, at a certain level, it's no longer in their control. You may be making the choice initially, but after a while, you're not making the choice anymore. It's just part of who you are. And completely you have overtakes to do a better you. job of telling it. Yep. It completely overtakes you. Mike, man, thank you so much for doing this. this Jay, is, uh, thank you for having me. Um, it, it, it warms my heart to see how much this matters to you. That is it for today. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Sabrina Boyd-Circa. I promise you I'll pull it together, and we'll be back here for the Wednesday edition of this, of this thing tomorrow. Thank you so much, and have a great Tuesday.